0: Well, it's an honor to introduce this partnership, Sunbum. I've been using Sunbum for years. We slather our fair-skinned eight-month-old in their mineral sunscreen. And so when they reached out as fans of the show and inquired about partnering, I said, absolutely yes, it is a no-brainer. Sunbum was founded in 2010. They're born from the surf world. They're heavily invested in surf. Their products are sulfate-free, cruelty-free, gluten-free. Hawaii Reef compliant with Act 104, lots of great reasons to trust Sunbum as your skincare protection of choice, especially if you have sensitivities or allergies. I've mainly just used their Face Stick and the Mineral Sunscreen lotions. But here I've come to find out they have a full line of hair care products, skin care products, even baby bum products. So everything that you need for your skin beyond just sun protection in the summertime. But if you're keen to try sun bum for the first time and you spend a lot of time in the water, definitely try that face stick. I love it just because it doesn't migrate. I can still see it on my face when I get out of the water, giving me kind of visual confirmation that I'm protected. And the other epic thing that they turned me on to was the roll-on applicator. I used to just use the normal squeeze bottle lotion for my arms and legs, but no matter how well I would wipe off my hands, there was always some residual lotion when I would paddle out that would transfer to the deck of my board, and then I'd have to be cognizant of that on the first couple of waves before it wears off. Well, say goodbye to slippery hands. The roll-on applicator rolls on the perfect amount of sunblock without any need to touch it with your hands. Revolutionary. Thank you, Sunbum. So, sunbum.com, uh, it's very likely available at your local surf shop, so grab it wherever. Or if you want to save 15% and let them know that we sent you, go to sunbum.com. You can use our promo code, Surf Splendor, all one word, stock up and save 15% on your first order. Also, while you're there on sunbum.com, read up on their company's ethos, their practices, and it'll give you plenty of reasons to trust the bum. sunbum.com, promo code SurfSplendor. Thank you and enjoy. And of course, FlorenceMarineX.com. What could be more important in your clothing, especially in your board shorts, than comfort? Oh, I'll tell you what, durability. Comfort is great, but if they don't last or if they change texture after repeated washings, then it's almost worthless. So how do you achieve comfort and durability together? Cordura is the answer. Cordura fabric has been used by Alpinists, by the military, and now it's been North Shore tested by two-time world champ and Olympian, John John Florence. And he has validated it and approved it for eight-hour sessions at Pipe and Back Door, or for whatever you're endeavoring to do. So florencemarinex.com for your board short needs throughout the rest of the summer, clothing, outerwear, wetsuits, and Expedition clothing that will allow you to spend more time outdoors, comfortable, and protected from the elements. florencemarinex.com. Enjoy. <music> Today we're kicking off a series of conversations with founders, pioneers in business in the surf space. People who have created products that simultaneously service and contribute to surf culture. Origin stories are always interesting to me and we're really lucky that a lot of our culture's pioneers are still alive and working today to share these conversations. And some of their businesses are currently in transition because they've been around for decades and they're being passed along to a second generation to continue the legacy. So we'll include some episodes with that new generation who's taking over these legacy brands as well. But today's conversation is with Steve Pesman. As a publisher, Pesman has been at the gravitational center of so many important happenings in surfing for decades, documenting them, commenting on them and if not publishing the details then at the bare minimum having conversations over meals with just about everyone the board builders the pro surfers the manufacturers the financiers of the surfing world. Pesman was the publisher at Surfer Magazine from 1970 to 1991 the successor to founder John Severson and was at the helm to oversee and help curate the boom in surfing during those decades as the sport shifted from counterculture to professionalization. And along with it, Steve was at the helm for the magazine's exponential growth in both circulation and revenues. Pesman departed Surfer in 1991, and within a year co-founded, alongside his wife Debbie, the Surfer's Journal, which of course is still in print and thriving today while so many other publications have ceased to print, Surfer included. The Surfer's Journal has also produced television series, films, podcasts, and books, the most recent of which Chronicle's 50 years of surf writing by Steve Pesman himself. It's entitled Turn and Go, and it is the impetus for today's conversation. So Steve and I met at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente. Uh, They had just hosted a book release party for Pesman a few nights prior, so that is where we will enter our conversation. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Steve Pesman.
1: What makes you smile? What makes you cry? What makes
0: you look this way? Darling, I wanna know, darling, I wanna know.
1: You're the one I talk about, you're the one I think about, everywhere I go. But sometimes I'll you in the morning. Lord, I miss you so
2: Well, I was dazzled by the amount of people that came. Maybe some, over a hundred, maybe hundred Who knows? But uh, and there were a lot of people I hadn't seen for a long time, and a lot of people I was surprised to see there. Uh, Craig Stessic from. Uh, santa monica mike henson from san diego uh so um and as far as the event itself um i was i wasn't in the audience so i don't know how how i did but i uh the part of in which i was supposed to speak i read some parts of the book and a few things that weren't in the book and uh that took about 45 minutes and then I just sat and signed and, uh, and said hello and, and uh, uh, chatted with people that were in line waiting patiently. And uh, so that was my favorite part of it, the, nice. the, the, the seeing the people and chatting with them. And, and my, hand, my signatures got kind of weird as the night grew on and I was embarrassed by my handwriting And uh, I had to think of things to say sometimes, which was a little bit awkward. So uh, that's the only book signing or anything like that I've ever done. So I survived it, is what I'll say.
0: Okay, good. Among the uh, luminaries in attendance, John John Florence from the North Shore of Oahu as well.
2: And, you know, I didn't know who he was. Are you kidding? No. Oh, my gosh. And so I, I didn't act in any special way, and I asked him what his name was, and John and he said, John, John, and you know. So I was embarrassed by that afterwards. Um, that, I know who he is, but not by not uh, recognizing him. And uh, yeah, he's an incredible surfer.
0: Well, that's exactly why I brought him up. Was I was curious how much you
2: follow modern surfing? Uh. Well, the 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 more. The more modern it is, the less I've followed it. Um, I glance it. I glance through issues at photographs, uh, Surfer Magazine, which was more con- contemporary based in its coverage. Uh, um, would is no longer uh, in publication, so uh, I don't have the help of of that. And uh, so uh, my kids follow it, and are, I have two 35-year-olds who are avid surfers and uh, are totally up to time, up yeah. to, you know, with what's going on. But uh, as I age and uh, uh, become closer to the end of the road, my uh, vision grows shorter. Uh, so, uh, but I certainly know who John John is.
0: <laughs> now you know what he looks like too.
2: Yeah, tall and uh, yeah, lanky.
0: Um, well, you were dazzled by the turnout, and it—you know—you named a bunch of your friends, essentially contemporaries, people you've known over the years. But is it uh, Henry Ford? Uh,
2: yeah, there you know, you go. <laughs> uh, it was—it was quite something, really. And friends that uh, Alan Seymour and his wife—you uh, know, uh, my brother. Um,
0: but is it nice to know that the young kids are also showing up because they want to hear from you as well, like John? John, uh, it's not just your friends
2: who are here. To no, hear about it's not your book. just my you know friends. I mean? But uh, I was, uh, yeah, it's nice to, to think that uh, they they care about um, what I have to say or have said. Or um, yeah, that's a pleasant thought.
0: Well, they do, and it's because you are, as I think your book said, the gravitational center of so much of surfing and surf culture emanated from right where you happen to be living, the people that you happen to know, and you documented so much of it. So, yeah, they want to come here for me.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that was incidental, and as uh, time goes on, the uh, coagulation of incidental acts on my part become more and more profound, but not on purpose on my part and not consciously but uh when i become aware of it it kind of uh, boggles me as well
0: well it may not have been consciously but you were documenting it throughout all of it you're having these yeah. experiences with people writing about it and sharing it with the world
2: so right that's true. you had an active role yeah. throughout. yeah 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 yeah
0: so let me ask you real quickly let's talk about the book i'm going to ask you some origin story stuff too but the book itself what was the concept the book.
2: Well, I have to be honest with you. The book occurred without me knowing about it. Okay. Uh, this my wife and Witt, who was the editor at the journal at the time, I think, uh, kind of pushed on it and put it together, and Witt uh, uh, gathered the articles and 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 selected the ones and sequenced them, and uh, then they showed me. Went, and I went I looked at it and kind of dumbfounded, went, oh, okay. And uh, so it came out, and uh, I'm getting all the accolades for their effort.
0: That's nice. It's good to surround yourself with people like that.
2: Oh, it is, absolutely. I've been lucky all my life that way.
0: Um, are there any articles that you think should have been included. Essentially the concept for the book, by the way, is 50 years of surf riding is the tag, the subtitle. Are there any articles among those 50 years that you think should have been included in the book that weren't? Uh, No,
2: I, I uh, um, really can't think of any, if I, if I went through a list of articles that I've written, which I don't have one, um, I probably find pieces that, I would think, oh, yeah, that could have gone in. Um, but basically, uh, not really. You know, I I think a lot of my writing is very similar, and uh, uh, one topic is as valid as another in the sense of, I think the, the, the value of the book is that I have a perspective about surfing that is... Um, Uh, a bit unusual in that I edited and published a surf magazine for 50 years, and nobody else has ever done that. So when you do that job, you pay attention to the sport in a certain way and evaluate it and uh, write about it, think about it, uh, adjudicate it. And uh, so my perspective of it is... um, reflective, maybe a little thoughtful. Um, and uh, so I think any of the articles, most uh, any fairly uh, astute combination of pieces that I've written, that many that they assembled would, would be a representative slice of my thoughts. Got it.
0: I feel like it's difficult to put 50 years of writing into a book and there could be multiple volumes of this book.
2: Well, uh, that's perhaps the truth. Because um, I right away I thought, well, you know, I wonder if I could do another one mm-hmm. with pieces that weren't used. And I suspect that's possible. Um, the A lot of the interviews, uh, the... Um, are, we're f- kind of of the more stellar personalities Quig, Phil Edwards, uh, you know, foundational uh, uh, people. For, but I, you know, for instance, I don't think Tom Morey's in there.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either.
2: And I think Tom Morey's the most, uh, had a huge influence. On the on the wave culture, wave riding culture, mm-hmm. and the sport, uh, because his inquisitive, creative, thoughtful mind was unique and bit the sport in different ways. Just the invention of the boogie board, which I think I offended his wife by saying he wasn't a good businessman, but he was a brilliant person. Um,
0: Did you say that on Thursday?
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and uh, what I meant when I said that was that he invented the boogie board, which is which is just so prominent, and you know it's out there, and it still uh, died a poor man. Yeah. So what I that's what I was thinking of when I said he wasn't a good businessman mm-hmm. because he his mind went from from concept to concept. And uh, the most important thing to him was not benefiting from the prior concept but developing the current one and then thinking of the next one. Uh, there's a piece that, I, that didn't get published called uh, Breakfast at Denny's that I wrote where um, I went into Denny's one morning and, um, and as I was going in, Tom and Marcia were leaving. And I and as a matter of course, I said, "How you doing, Tom? What are you up to?" And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, "Do you really want to know?" And I said, "Well, yeah." So he said, "Come over here and sit down again." So they, we all sat down, and he explained to me that he was he was coming up with a concept for for space travel, and that the idea involved uh, going out into space far enough a way to get away from the Earth's gravitational pull and then remaining stationary and letting the universe come to you as it rotated. And that's Maury, you know, just thinking outside the realm of of normal human imagination. So um, he was a person that wasn't in that book. Mm -hmm. And I think if I was to do one book of that type, he would deserve to be in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, He deserves a book on his own. I was going to say,
0: yeah, totally. And um, just as a side note, his very first bodyboard is right on the other side of these doors. Mm. It's just sitting out there propped up. Um, So for listeners, we're at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Uh And they should absolutely support and get involved and check them out because there's resources like that.
2: Yeah, that bodyboard is such an unattractive yeah. uh, piece of, of just material, but what it entails is flexible and the contour and the shape and, and whatever curve there is and where it is, everything is very, very on purpose. Mm. And, uh, and that board enabled more people to uh, experience uh, riding a wave than anything or anyone else in the history of man on earth. Undeniably. Yeah.
0: Um, You mentioned in this book, there are unpublished previously unpublished articles, essays. Um, You were publishing the magazine. Why were those unpublished?
2: Oh, I don't think there were unpublished
0: at the beginning of some, yeah. Previously unpublished pink cloud.
2: Oh, a half year trip to Oahu. Okay. Yeah. 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 There you go.
0: Um, I'm just curious, if you are the publisher, how does your work not get published? Uh, Is it just an editorial decision that it didn't fit in a particular issue? Or,
2: Well, I just think that uh, at the time that was written, it was there was no use for it. There was no need for it. Gotcha. That was a, a recollection of my first trip to Hawaii and uh, its length and uh, so forth didn't really serve the purpose of any issue at the time it was written. Gotcha. And so it just got kind of hidden in the dust of time mm. as, as time went, rolled along.
0: Got it. Uh, well for listeners, even if they've read through the surfers journals, there's unpublished pieces in this book, which make it worth, yeah, mm. cause those stories are super interesting now and are just as valuable and valid as anything that was published.
2: Well, that's uh well, thank you. Yeah. Gladly.
0: Uh-huh. Um, Another thing that struck me as I read through it was how many of these, the subjects, the actual, your friends, the people that you're interviewing, profiling, they're characters. They're such characters in a way that modern surfing does not have, you mm-hmm. know? And you mentioned Tom Morey. He's certainly one of them. Joe Quigg. Quig, Dora, uh, Greg Null, Brock Little's in there. Jackie Baxter, Diffenderfer, Munoz surfing used to really venerate and care about, I don't know, profile care about whatever individuals who are living a very individual path in surfing. And I feel like modern surfing, it's so, has has missed
2: that has entirely moved away from it. It may, you know, that may be true and it, and it likely is, but there's the, uh, there is also the thought that, um, back then surfing was so, uh, uh, lightly populated, and there were so few surfers that, and the people that were attracted to it were really uh, unusual. To 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 do something that wasn't normally done, it wasn't it wasn't known. It was it was, and and so it it attracted a really different kind of person. Gotcha. To to the activity. Uh, and now it's it's like homogenized and uh, it's unfortunately b- going to be an Olympic sport, uh, which I say unfortunately because uh, I think that is, surfing is not about competition. And uh, so the Olympics uh, uh, take it and put it into a place that they want it to be and then that becomes how surfing is understood by the world and it's not that to the to the enthusiast who doesn't do it that way can both things exist yeah sure yeah oh the surfing just the way it is the normal Joe Joe doke uh, surfer who goes out for his own, Pleasure and just to feel the wave and go surfing and have a good time with his friends and go to the beach and enjoy the whole environment and that whole experience uh, doesn't care what else is going on. Yeah. So it's it's both ways. You can have it both ways.
0: Except his beach is a lot more crowded.
2: That's true, and and people that don't (laughs) surf his beach. Yeah, it's not his. But well, you know, you do feel. Like you have beaches that are yours, totally, and uh, uh, I guess that's true of golfers and yeah, you know, skiers and
0: I think it's human nature.
2: Human nature, right? You know, to be possessive, yeah, or no, to feel me. possessive.
0: If you've been doing something longer than and then a newbie shows up, you do feel entitled. That's right. You know, yeah. Um, I think about what you just identified though a lot. The older I get, and going through your book again, kind of because my perspective and because I'm doing the podcast every single week, I'm kind of, uh, incorporating modern perspective constantly. Oh,
2: absolutely sure.
0: And adjusting the concept of competitive surfing being so counterintuitive to the original act of surfing is more clear to me now than it's ever been. And also more problematic now than it's ever been. And so I was kind of accepting it but then going through your writing reading your writing some of it that's you know from the 90s when I did grow up it was really nostalgic for me and it reminded and kind of reset some of my values that and the rites of passages that I went through and that's why I kind of brought up the characters that used to exist in surfing it was all individuals pursuing surfing in an individual way and I feel now the homogeneity is related to money largely and contests largely. So you have to surf to a criteria in a contest. The judges are defining in their quest for objectivity. They're defining a criteria. And so you have to do these things. If you paddled out riding a board that didn't fit the criteria, you're not going to make it through your heat. If you do a trick that they had not conceived of previously, it's going to get underscored. And so all of it becomes homogeneous and then there's money attached to it. And then in your post-heat interview, you better not say anything because X, Y, or Z company is paying you a certain amount of money to not say anything.
2: And so- chara- Or to say something.
0: Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the characters that used to be venerated are now completely kind of trying to fit through this tiny yeah, needle they're ch- to all outcasts. the Outcasts. Completely. Yeah. so I think that those characters still exist in the surf world. Yeah. you know there are, oh yes, dudes in Western Australia just showing up never you'll never know who their names are and they're charging big barreling reefs, you know. In cold well, heat. I
2: think th- uh, throughout the sport there's probably uh, people that would fit the profile of uh, the original people that you were venerating as being unique and different individuals at the beginning but they're just buried amongst the mass of uh, people that do it so they don't stand out and they don't get recognized or noticed or talked about or they're, 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 the knowledge of them isn't, doesn't transmit to other areas as much as uh, it used to.
0: Well, you are seeking those. My point is you are seeking those people out and profiling them because they're actually interesting. And surf modern surf media now doesn't. I think that's the main difference. And a lot of
2: those people. And modern surf media isn't in print anymore. Good point. So uh, it's all verbal and uh, or digital. Yeah. And uh, so it has a different nature and a different transmission Mm -hmm. value.
0: And a lot of those surfers, I think, aren't self-promoters. So they're not involved in the digital aspect of it.
2: Yeah. You know. I don't even have a cell phone.
0: You don't? No. I texted you thirty minutes ago, so maybe from the number you called me on last week. Is that your house phone? Uh,
2: uh, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. And the text didn't go through.
2: Or my wife has one, and and she may have. I may have used her phone. Okay. Yeah, the text didn't go through because it was to the house phone. Got it. Got it. Landline. Um, obsolete.
0: Are you still writing about surfing?
2: Uh, Not really. Um, I don't have a. A drive to do it i don't surf i stopped surfing about 10 i don't know i stopped surfing when i couldn't pop up and uh so that was a while back okay and um um i write about i write about it incidentally but not in in publishable form uh uh, you know, once in a while, I I still have interactions with with the uh, publication, and uh, but just just not. I don't have any responsibilities. Uh, sometimes uh, they'll ask me for something, but not really. I'm not writing.
0: Um, do you miss surfing?
2: Oh yeah, I I go look at it every day. I I I frequently walk my dog down to the bench on the bluff overlooking lowers and watch the surfing and then uh, turn away and walk back to the car. And uh, my mind is riddled with uh, thoughts about what I saw. I, I, I judge the competence of the surfers that I'm watching. Uh, I, I, I judge the rides that are being had to see if I feel like I'm missing something and frequently tell him, tell myself I'm not. Uh, although I think that's not true, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, you said you stopped when you couldn't pop up. Why couldn't you pop up?
2: Oh, I'm just not, I'm too fat and big and my legs are, I just don't have the wherewithal to pop up.
0: So at that time, did you, of make any accommodation to try to continue your time in the water.
2: Oh, you mean like prone or surfing on my knees? Or, or? even
0: just like uh, physical therapy, hit the no, gym, no, all that no, kind of no, stuff. No, no, I didn't. Because I, I constantly, or everybody I interview, I kind of ask what their fitness regime is or how – uh, you know Jeff Hackman is going to surf till 100 so it's like tell me how are you going to or how are you going to do that and so I'm curious when you were kind of faced with that I would presume you were surfing less and less over the years and so yeah, do uh, you assess it at some point and go
2: no it was unconscious gotcha it was, it was just something that happened without me being aware that it was happening gotcha just blithered i blithered off the road
0: yeah and, um do you remember The last wave. No, no. Okay. Cause I'm, if it wasn't a conscious, right. If it wasn't a conscious decision, then it might just, yeah, you wouldn't remember it, I guess.
2: No, I, no, I, I've thought about that, but no, I don't.
0: What about stand up paddling? You consider that?
2: Um, I watched it happening. Um, but never, it never got, got me to do it. It, it, it's worth doing, I'm sure. It's a way to avoid popping up. Well, to paddle
0: into a wave. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talking about the first wave that you don't remember, you started surfing at age 16?
2: Uh, maybe 17. Okay. Um, at Ray Bay and Seal Beach. Um, you know, riding the foam in on, the, on a wave, I'm sure. and And soon after... Uh, a period of months, uh, I lived a, across the bay in Alameda's Bay in Naples. Mm-hmm. So we could paddle to get to Ray Bay and to the peninsula and walk along and then cross, cross the entry jetties to Alameda's Bay and then over the rocks. And it was an arduous effort, but,
0: uh, Were there stingrays there at oh, that yeah, time? Yeah. Ray too?
2: Bay. Yeah. Yeah. They used to net, uh, stingrays there and sell them or to the hospital that would process the st- the stingers and make an anti-venom kind of uh, wow. thing out of them. And I worked on that net crew and they'd get like 1,500 a day wow. stingrays uh, netting at Ray Bay. Insane. Yeah. I was a lifeguard in Seal Beach too. Oh, I didn't know that. But, uh.
0: So that's where I learned how to surf too. Oh. So I know that area well. Yeah. We, um. Knew it as Ray Bay as well, but we took to calling it RivCon because it's the river.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, RivCon. I, yeah, yeah. Like
0: when it's pumping that, right? Yeah, sure. RivCon.
2: Yeah. yeah. And crabs.
0: Yeah. Um, somebody just post, I'll show you when we're done, posted a photo on Instagram of, I guess, like the Navy maybe released a bunch of archival photos and somebody was su- sorting through all of them to try to find surf imagery. And there's a helicopter shot of that spot from behind, um, with it absolutely pumping like oh. in the twenties or thirties. My goodness. And I don't know if they built maybe a break wall or something in the years since, but it used to apparently just absorb tons of swell. Mm. And so, um, it was pretty fascinating to see just absolutely, you know, breaking off that long jetty yeah, all the way in.
2: The Alameda Bay entry jetty.
0: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: Huh.
0: um, you wrote your first article for Peterson's Surfing in 1968. Do you know what that first article was?
2: What was it? I don't know. I was gonna, uh, I was hoping you did. I
0: like I'm and tell me. Let's paint the picture a little bit.
2: It might have been. It was either it was either a travel piece or uh, about surfboards about surfboard shaping maybe. Okay.
0: So. Paint the picture for us. You're living in Long Beach. You start surfing as a teenager. And what was your exposure to surfing and what inspired you to write the article?
2: Well, um, I started surfing in, like, say, 57 and uh, started uh, feeling accomplished about 1959, 1960. And uh, in 62, some, uh, some guys in my crew and I went to Hawaii in the, in the late summer to spend the winter there and ride the North Shore, which was uh, still, uh, there was only maybe 10 surfers living on the North Shore at the time. It wasn't very uh, crowded and Pipeline had just been discovered the year before, so it attracted a lot of the people that would that went there on the weekends and frequently sunset would be uh, pretty un- underridden or, or no one out or one person out or something. So we served sunset a lot and uh, rode Waimea and uh, came back anyway. I came back from the islands in in the early spring. Um, with a hundred dollars more in my pocket than I left with, which blew my dad's mind.
0: How bad? How'd that happen?
2: <laughs> oh, he gave me twenty-five dollars when I got on the plane to fly over there. Uh, well, we worked at the foremost dairy. Okay. Uh, towards the end of the of the winter, and uh, I think we made a dollar eighty-five an hour, which they paid us in cash at the end of each shift because there was it was a teamster strike striking the dairy, and we were striked Breakers, gotcha. And uh, there was some danger involved in that, but uh, I won't get buried in that story. But anyway, when I came back, um, I got a job. Uh, Hobie had just bought uh, oldie surfboards in Seal Beach, and he he uh, hired Mickey Mignos to, to run it, and and Mignos hired me to be his uh, left hand man. And so uh, I was uh, his assistant at Mignos Surfboards uh, that summer, and there was this guy uh, that I wrote about in the book, uh, Duke Boyd, who uh, uh, had just started a, a, a surf truck, a, clo- a surf clothing business called Hang Ten, and. He came into, into into Oli surfboards and attempted to uh, get us to carry surf trunks, and we said, "And we went, nah, come on, surf shops don't carry clothes." And uh, from that moment, uh, Mignos and I and Duke became lifelong friends. We didn't carry Hang Ten, but he went down this, the road and sold it to Jackson. and other shops that are still alive and Ole's is long gone. So Duke ended up um, further along the road um, uh, being uh, uh, hustled to advertise in Peterson's International Surfing Magazine by a guy named Dick Graham who was the publisher. And uh, they became friends And Duke became, started helping him uh, uh, compete against Surfer uh, with articles and uh, so forth. And got me, and Duke's deal was, he got uh, underground people, grassroots people, to be in the book in various ways and be featured in articles or so forth which was different than Surfer at the time that was there. Surfer was featuring Lance Carson and the standout heroes and, 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 uh, Graham's magazine with Duke's guidance was featuring, uh, underground grassroots guys that, that the surfers up and down the coast knew. So he got me to write an article. Then pretty soon, um, he asked me if I wanted, they had an opening for an advertising salesman and, and they asked me if I wanted to, that job and I went, no, thank, no, I don't think so. I didn't think I was interested or could do it. And then a while later he said, uh, how about uh, coming up and working as an editorial employee on on the magazine? So I did, I went up there and spent six months uh, at driving from Huntington Beach to uh, Sunset and La Encineras, or, oh, wow. or you know, and uh, to the Peterson Building, we had a corner office. We could look down at the traffic <laughs> going by, and we had a eye, a photo of an eye that winked when you wiggled it. And we, you know, we were we'd go up in the elevator and go up to the top floor up to the roof to smoke joints, and uh, there'd be executives from Detroit in the uh, elevator with us in their suits, and we were dressed like surf rats. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that magazine ended up uh, going out of business, folding after about six months. So I went down to Surfer to uh, see if I could contribute freelance articles and I got hired that day to, to uh, fill in for juke Campion, who had just left or resigned over a salary dispute with John over $100 a month over with the publisher. And um, I didn't realize it at the time, but the magazine had been sold to a holding company called For Better Living. And John sold it for shares of stock in the holding company. And the guy that started the holding company was a corporate, big corporate guy. And um, so I, I worked at Surfer for about six, seven months. And and John um, lived in Cypress Shore next to the Western White House where Nixon was. And uh, right, I mean, when next to, I mean, you could throw a softball th- through the Nixon's window of their house from John's front porch. Mm. So uh, one of the Secret Service guys that was guarding Nixon was dating John's sister. And John had just been, John was a golfer, country club, kind of conservative guy. And Rick Griffin, who was a cartoonist that John was publishing, um, had converted him into a pot-smoking hippie. And uh, the Secret Service guy told John's sister that your brother better watch out what he's doing. We know everything that happens in that house. And uh, John was gone in six months. That blew him out of the house and out of California. And um, so he reached around. He looked around for someone to make the publisher so he wouldn't leave the magazine without a someone in the chair, and he asked me what I thought, and I said, well, Dick Graham, and and so he asked Graham, and Graham was just working for an ad agency for Hang 10 at the time, so he went, no, nah. and he asked Tom Morey of all people, and Morey didn't want the job because he was just working, developing the boogie, I think, and um, so John took me to lunch one day, and he said, well, he said, I guess you're it. I said, I'm what? What? And he said, How about taking the publisher's job? Publish for two hours a day, edit for three hours a day, and go surfing. Keep the job for five years, it'll be good for you. So uh, I ended up in the publisher's chair at Surfer. And um, in 19, I, I stayed in that chair till 1992. Crazy. Uh, from 1970 to 1992. And then um, I met my, my wife, um, who came to work there, uh, and we met and uh, got married. And um, I left in '92. Um, there was a gal named Dana Gordon, who is a New York publishing person kind of sophisticated and very hip and business like the opposite of me and uh, she ended up getting the 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 job of running that place and I left okay cuz I didn't get it gotcha and uh, my and so Debbie and I kind of looked around for what we were going to do and publishing a magazine seemed like what I knew how to do i mean the only thing except shaping uh, so, um, we thought of magazine ideas. One was a, uh, kind of a sports illustrated for, for preteens that would be skateboarding and really, uh, kind of, a and, and it would have been a monthly and it would have cost like a million or two million bucks to start. And, uh. Well, we thought that was probably the most commercial idea. The other idea we had was a qu- was a quarterly uh, journal of of uh, more sophisticated content than than Surfer was carrying. Surfer was aiming at a teenage audience, and there was an older audience of surfers that was being we didn't think was being served by the magazines. And uh, we thought if we did an upscale magazine, we could charge enough for it that we could make money selling the magazine itself instead of uh, having to use advertising to uh, support it. In normal magazine publishing, the magazine gets published at a slight loss, printed at a slight loss, and the mag- ad revenue overwhelms that loss and makes the profit but we were trying to make it for five bucks and sell it for eight bucks or something. And so we started the journal and we were on a friendly basis with Surfer. They were a little apprehensive, but um, at the time they let us uh, mail their subscriber list with a subscription offer. So we picked the names of subscribers that had renewed at least once and sent them as uh, a subscription offer, and we probably dropped forty thousand pieces, and and ended up with three thousand subscribers sending us a check for whatever it was thirty seven fifty or some funny number, and uh, so we started and printed more magazines than that and got them into surf shops, and uh, but. And and by the second year, uh, we were seven hundred grand down, but in the black, all of a sudden, and starting to dig out of the hole, and uh, it ended up uh, working out. And our circulation has grown to kind of peak at about twenty five thousand, which seems to be, it's what what it's. But it's going to be yeah and uh that works um and our advertising we started off with uh, five advertisers now we have seven okay but um it's still uh uh vastly content uh and the nature of the product is such that it uh anyway it so it's a unique publication um, and a lot of people in the publishing world were be, ev- eventually became aware of it and were kind of startled by the fact that it succeeded and it's still it's still it's still alive and going in a world where print publications are disappearing because they don't make the, they don't serve a need
0: right Well, there's a lot to unpack there um, the bu- <laughs> the business model that you uh implemented had you seen any other publications do that or was that just no no it
2: was just uh just Just something that came to us it's a
0: practical business idea yeah we're making something we need to make a profit on it well
2: and and we understood the surfing scene and we understood that the the surf magazines the sport was largely young and the magazines were geared towards serving those but there was an adequate number of older surfers and in this, in this, in the sport, was adding those as the surfers continued to surf, they aged, mm-hmm. so um, the demographic that we were serving was was going to increase in size.
0: So, as the publisher, though, for the previous twenty plus years at mm-hmm. Surfer,
2: twenty one, yeah,
0: yeah, you could have adjusted the editorial to accommodate that demographic, well,
2: and did, been did, a can, Surfer magazine. But not. Uh, you saw that gap emerge. But it was that would have been an advertising-driven uh, vehicle because we couldn't charge kids uh, twelve bucks. We wanted to do something that was kind of uplifted and and uh, sophisticated and and looking at the uh, philosophy of surfing.
0: Okay, that's what I was going to ask you is what specifically was the different, uh, ethos. And also you mentioned, we wanted to make a journal. What's the difference between a journal and surfer magazine? Well,
2: I, I, I would say the absence of, of advertising. Got it. Um, essentially. Got it. A journal is, is sells the, the editorial, the content is the, what you pay for. And, um, uh, so yeah. that would be the deal. Got it. A journal could be not so glamorous in its physical nature, but still could be a journal as long as it didn't have advertising. And, yeah. You know,
0: uh, and it turns out that it is glamorous in its physical nature as well. Like the print, the quality of the, the paper itself and the glossy cover and all that kind of stuff is elevated.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we really tried to uh, lift it. And have it be worth uh, whatever we needed to charge for it yeah. in order to make the thing work. Yeah. And the uh, subscription is now like seventy bucks a year, and it's six it's six times a year. And um, we consider going quarterly, going back to quarterly sometimes, but uh, in, in improving the the. The book itself, making it more pages and even better paper, and trying to make it worth more. So we didn't lower the sub price; we just lowered the frequency. Because, um, uh, but we haven't gone there yet. Yeah. So
0: incidentally, I've modeled my podcast business after your guys' magazine model. Wow! Yeah,
2: we out. That's um, complimentary.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys have uh, proven to be a functioning business. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's a smart way, to, a smart model to follow. But we have um, a subscription option. Like you can get it for free and there's advertising on it. Mm-hmm. But we offer a subscription option. It's $5 a month and you can get an ad free version by supporting that. So the idea was to develop enough subscribers that we could just operate. Independently, Right. Of the surf industry and everybody. Right, right. And then, but it turns out the, and the ad revenue was always kind of uh, inconsistent mm-hmm. anyways, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now we've been at it long enough that it is much more consistent, but we can exist independently. And then for those who want it for free, they get the advertising. Yeah, great. So And it works.
2: It's a good model. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're welcome to it athleticgreens.com
0: surf is our key to health and wellness around our home for this past year and a half i started taking ag1 in march 2021 and it has been the simplest upgrade that i have ever implemented to my health regime everything else takes work any level of exercise even dietary modifications usually require some additional amount of work whether it's shopping or meal prep or whatever. And it's almost always the case that the most convenient options are actually unhealthy ones well that's probably the secret to the success of athletic greens i set up a subscription once and i've never thought about it again a pouch of powder shows up at my door every month i mix one scoop of it with eight ounces of water every morning and within 20 seconds i've got vitamins minerals superfood complex dairy-free probiotics plant extracts antioxidants enzyme and mushroom complex all perfectly balanced for an optimally functioning gut immunity, energy, and promotion of healthy aging. So athleticgreens.com surf is our portal. You will get a year supply of vitamin D for free and five travel packs. And those travel packs really help stabilize my diet when I am on the road. Something that I've always struggled to do. So you can support us and you can find Optimal Wellness at athleticgreens.com surf. Enjoy. I'll read you this listener email real quickly. It says, DLS, first off, I wanted to say that Real Water Sports is legit. Heard about them on one of your shows. After perusing their website, I found a board that I knew would be amazing in MR slash Mayhem Cali Twin. But wanting to keep my dollars a little closer to home, I called a local surf shop that is a dealer, but they were not able to get specifically what I was looking for without ordering a custom, and I didn't want to wait months. So I went ahead, purchased the board through Real Water Sports, and the board came in perfect condition and sooner than expected. Stoked. That was from listener Chris Martin, probably not the Coldplay lead singer, but who knows. Uh, Chris, I totally understand the impulse to support local and I encourage it, but Reel's service and inventory is undeniable, and they just simply are a great resource for everyone. Surfboard purchasing and certainly shipping has always been really fragmented regionally, and so to have uh, not everything, but to have a lot of options all in one spot fast, guaranteed, priced competitively with kind of a brick and mortar customer service element is valuable. They also have video tutorials and reviews for a lot of their boards. So if you want to just spend some time on their site, getting to know what's what you can do that as well before you make a purchase. So realwatersports.com. Bravo to you. Thanks for the support and enjoy that as a resource listeners, realwatersports.com. You mentioned Debbie. What's Debbie's role in the journal?
2: Oh, boy. It wouldn't be there if she hadn't uh, been a key, you know, if we hadn't have done it together. Um, I can write about surfing. Mm -hmm. And I am also, I envision myself to be an artist as well. I paint and draw. So I can envision, when I think of an article, I think of what it's going to look like. Rather than just the words and the parts that I assemble and give to a designer, and uh, but Debbie um, has an aesthetic for the creative part as well as uh, a marketing and mechanical process sense that um, that protects the uh, the nature. The philosophy of the title, which is uh, not to whore out the the sport or the product, and and, uh, but yet build mechanisms for circulation and uh, manage employees and uh, create a whole structure, a business structure. So she's really the journal and I'm the decoration and uh, but it takes decoration too so you know I I played a, a, a an important role but without her it wouldn't it wouldn't be there and so it was just a unique uh, circumstance that that we were together and had the uh, aptitudes to uh, make it happen yeah it was just you know just just one of those things
0: um is she, does she still maintain an active role?
2: Oh, she's over there right now. Oh, she is. Okay. We're across the street from the journal office. Right. And, uh, she's working, um, uh, because, uh, the, we had a publisher, Brendan Thomas, who, yep. who, uh, and who started a golf publication under the umbrella of the journal concepts, which is our, the name of our, our umbrella business. And, uh. It got to the point where he couldn't do the Surfer's Journal anymore, so he had to leave and focus on the Golfer's Journal, which is thriving. Good. That meant that um, while well, our son, Sean, one of our twin boys, who is employed there and, and endeavors to be the publisher, uh, ramps up to that uh, skill level, uh, she's in there every day and keeping the thing, um, you know, going. So, Good. Uh, no, she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> She'd she's, rather not she's, be there. She's not quite as old as I am, but she's she's worked all her life, and she's ready to uh, not work. Gotcha. But she's doing a wonderful job. Yeah,
0: Good. and I'm glad to hear Sean's in the business as well.
2: Mm-hmm. That's you important.
0: Too. Yeah. Um. Along those lines, when you look back. Uh, At the decades, do you have any regret about making your passion your business? Has it eroded any of your passion for the passion?
2: Not really. Um, It probably uh, increased my passion because I had a reason to delve into it and uh, slice it and dice it and analyze it and portray it and uh, come back and read what I'd done and, and, and agree with it or disagree with it, but it enriched my understanding of the sport, my appreciation for it, no doubt.
0: Got it. It's not often that that happens when, like, I think about photographers who love photography and then they make it a business and you're trying, you know, your mortgage is dependent upon it, so you start shooting weddings or whatever else, and you kind of lose your love for the thing.
2: Yeah, well, surfing is a little different because surfing is surfing, and uh, it's it's a, the pleasure base, and so doing something about it is uh, doesn't escape the pleasure part of it, really, and uh, so it didn't didn't hurt my enjoyment of it at all.
0: Good. Um, you talked about. Surfers Journal thriving as so many other print publications have gone under.
2: Mm-hmm. What
0: do you attribute that to?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, and I'm not sure I know, but um, I think there's a there's a certain reward or pleasure that you get from from uh, holding. It in your hands and turning the pages and looking back and forth, and having control over how you how you absorb it—that is different than a digital uh, information or on a screen. And um, uh, so, the more that goes away, the more that what's there is treasured. And uh, uh, I think that in a way that, that I'm, it seems that it's possible that, that there'll be a, a portion of print that will hang in there and persevere because of that and human nature to uh, have a manual connection to the uh information they're absorbing and to enjoying something uh so it's just a different it's just a different you know you can thumb through it you can it's it's a little more doable uh and not so electric and and removed and abstract as as, uh, electric communications and and our our population is aging too so i think that uh there's a good chance that uh, it'll it'll be around for a while. Who knows how long? You know, who knows? Who yeah. knows? But uh, I think for as long as I'm alive, it'll be alive. Yeah. Not because of me, but just, you know, I'm 80. And uh, I think, you know, I can't see the end. One way that the digital has become more important to us is in, in, in attracting readership. Oh, okay. Uh, because surf shops used to be our marketing uh, yeah, yeah. avenue and newsstands. Yeah. And they're diminishing. Uh, so digital is the way we get people to discover us. And, and in digital, we have to create content to lure them or to give them things that make them curious about the mothership. Yep. And uh, so that's becoming something that we personally don't know how to do and uh, we know how to do print and uh uh so we 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 have to hire that expertise mm-hmm. but uh um anyway that's that's just the, so the world is changing our our whole you know the world we exist in is changing and we have to change with it but still protect our niche
0: and it seems to be change to it but still drive traffic back to the print that's right. Yeah. That's our goal. And everything you guys have done has been really good. And of the same tone and ethos, like you guys got into podcasting. Jamie Brissick is the, inter- is the guy and he's phenomenal at it, you know? And so it's well done. And the video pieces are always well Except
2: done. Except for my podcast. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was kind of dull. They, but, can't, uh, they yeah. can't all be stellar. They're, they're okay? all, but he's, yeah, he is good. He's at that. fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you about board building that because I feel like it's an under-discussed part of your history, but was that job with Mickey Munoz your first foray into board building? The job in Seal Beach at Olay
2: That preceded my my uh, surfboard building oh, okay. by f- five years.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was an introduction to it?
2: Yeah. I had a friend uh, who began shaping and he got me into shaping and uh, we got, he uh, there was a company called Fosfoam that was a, uh, a secondary foam supplier uh, when Clark was, you know, the main one and uh, he had uh, 2000 second blanks that he wanted uh, to sell and felt he could sell them if they were shaped. So he hired my friend to shape them for six bucks a piece. And my friend hired me to help him. And so we would team shape. He'd outline, I'd band, or, you know, I'd saw. He'd, And we'd trade off with the various stages of the shape. Uh, so I got to learn how to use all the to- t- tools and essentially do the basic process. And that's how I, I got into shaping. And, and then my friend... Another friend, Stu, who was a, a, a really good shaper, Stu hers, um, who is my partner in creative design, um, uh, really refined my skills as a shaper. Gotcha. So
0: those 2000 boards, though, that's a great way to start. I mean, oh that's man, a lot that, of, oh volume. yeah, that's
2: a lot of, uh, foam dust. Totally. Boy, it was amazing. Um, we did. We we do fifteen boards a day.
0: That's a ton. Yeah, crazy. So you mentioned creative design was the name of the surfboard label. Yeah. Um, how long was that in existence, and when was the last time you shaped a surfboard?
2: Probably sixty nine. Oh okay. And it was in it was in existence for. Shortly after I left and Stu moved to Costa Rica and it went away. Got it. Yeah, it was in his shop in Huntington for a couple of years. And okay.
0: I had seen ref, uh, the fact that you were a board builder referenced or shaper uh, a number of times, but I didn't know if you were doing it all along quietly just for no. your own boards or if it was just mm-hmm. came and
2: went. We, private, we began by private label uh, shaping boards, building boards for surf shops. Okay. With their own labels. Got it. And then switch and then create our own label and then and move to a shop in Honey. We were in Costa Mesa on Goat Hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Harbor's shaping room was right behind ours. And, uh, and then we ended up moving down to Coast Highway and uh, having our own label and then moved to Huntington. And and we're there across the street from the pier, uh, next just almost next to. Greek surfboards mm-hmm. and uh, that fascinating. was fascinating. Back to the book and surf writing. Is there anybody
0: who you wish that you would have gotten a chance to interview that you never did? Because it seems like you were engaged with everybody.
2: I, that's a hard question to answer because there's just, gosh, the the whole world of surfers and, and there were a lot of interesting people Uh, I never interviewed Skip Fry or, you know, I mean, there's just numerous, numerous uh, surfers who uh, were really good and uh, probably thoughtful and had something to say that I didn't get around to. Yeah. I just didn't.
0: You still can. You can still interview Skip Fry if you wanted to.
2: (laughs) I could. I could. It's a thought. Yeah. I don't know. I never interviewed Lance Carson. Um, I never interviewed Mickey Dora.
0: There's a great piece on Dora in the book.
2: Well, yeah, that was a a very uh, touching and difficult visit that we paid him.
0: Yeah. If you could order a surfboard from anybody on the planet, what would you order at this point?
2: Yater was always one of my favorite was he? Uh, guys, and he was. I ordered a series of boards from him early on, and uh, we had a lot of respect for him. We were clued in before we knew that he was like really one of the top guys. Okay, and uh, then I discovered that I indeed agreed. And um, whereas Mickey Mignos, uh, for instance, was a, a shaper. Uh and he kind of like whittled his boards. Mm. Uh but they came out well because he knew what worked. Uh, uh Do you own anything from Pat Curran? Uh well Pat Curran was uh I had a eleven four Curran gun when I was in Hawaii in in sixty two and uh, wrote it at Waimea and Sunset and probably Lonnie Akea. And uh, Curran, uh, then I ended up doing a, a series of replicas with him, uh, balsa boards. I, I imported the wood from, uh, or I bought the wood, and the balsa wood, and... and and, uh, gave it to him and, and I invested the money in building the boards and then we split the profit and he was selling, we were selling them for $2,500 a piece. Smoking and, deal. And, um, at the time that was like, you know, a bunch, they go for 10 grand or more now. Totally. Um, and I made a batch of 10 with him and then an, another batch, um, and then I, he made these models of the guns, and I have four of them.
0: I've seen those,
2: and um, they required as much time, yeah, as the full size boards. Um, and why uh, did
0: he, why did he make the models?
2: Uh, just as uh, artifacts. Okay. Um,
0: because he had like balsa
2: scrap. No, I asked him. We we agreed it would be cool. Oh, he he had the yeah. idea of making model boards. I guess he had some. He made one, and I went well. That you know, it was it was really. It looked to me as if you enlarge it. Usually, if you enlarge a model, it 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 it, it falls apart. Like the it doesn't maintain its integrity shape wise, but these did, and. Uh, I've got four of them across the street, Wow. and uh, uh, they're 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 really really great.
0: Somebody showed me one at one point. Uh, maybe Ekstrom, Carl Ekstrom might have one. Carl, I think.
2: Yeah, he, he might.
0: Yeah, somebody showed me one a long time ago. He would have one. I think it was him. Then yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, they're really uh, special little artifacts. Uh,
0: yeah. Totally. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this and congrats on the book.
2: Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying that the book exists and, uh, I, I hope we can, we, we have a, we have some left, you know, you, you print them 2000 at a time. We sold out the first printing, did another printing and we have, uh, probably you know I don't know how many of those we have but hopefully uh, we won't, they won't be in the warehouse five years from now.
0: <laughs> I hope well we'll we'll direct people to buy them as well but I it serves value because magazines are a little more ephemeral and even though I keep them I never really open them up again right, and I've right. got a ton stacked in my garage that I've not looked at in decades. Books I keep them out they're in you know under the TV in a bookshelf and I actually go through them. Periodically, So I think this makes it um, – mm.
2: this has oh. more staying
0: power than the magazine. You know the articles were originally printed in the magazines. This has more staying power because it's in the
2: book. Right. I agree. Yeah. yeah. That will be around long after the m- magazines are gone.
0: There you go. All right. Well, thank you again, Steve.
2: Well, thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Buckets of rain, buckets of tears. Got all them buckets coming out of my ears. Buckets of moonbeams in my hands. You got all the love, honey, baby, I
0: Steve Pesman, everyone. I have linked to Turn and Go 50 Years of Surf Riding on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It's excellent, and of course, you should subscribe to the Surfer's Journal if you don't already, or if you do already, just give a gift subscription. Uh, It is as excellent as ever, and its value to surfing is immeasurable. I've included imagery of Steve and a couple of other videos that I found, uh, video interviews of him. And, um, as well as the photo of that very first bodyboard that Tom Maury made that we discussed in this show, that's all on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. There's also a comment section at the bottom of the page. If you want to leave a note for Steve, I will ensure that he sees it. And this is actually Steve's second appearance on surf splendor. His first was in 2014. If you can believe that eight years ago, uh, episode number 35 of surf splendor. So I've linked to that in your show notes. If you want to go back and listen, uh, i have not listened to that in years so i can't say that i recommend it but it is there if you want to check it out he also made a cameo appearance on episode number 38 of the grit with chas smith back in 2019 so go check that out and then also it's worth noting that we're going to be giving away a Pizel shadow on august 1st this board was built for and written by john john florence himself we're giving it away as a thank you to our supporters so, if you don't currently support our work, but you want a chance to win that board, all you have to do is set up your subscription before August 1st and you will be entered to win it. A John John custom shaped by Paisel himself that John John traded in. So, pretty epic. It's six feet. Uh, we got the dimensions and everything on our website when you go to subscribe and images of that specific board. So, go check it out. All right, Spit returns tomorrow, I believe Wednesday of this week. And The Grit comes back on Friday. New episodes of everything every single week, thanks to your support. So until next week, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the water, share some waves, and of course, shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com/surf. That's linkedin.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ah,
2: mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy.